Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Manchester United Show and Beyond the Pitch, I'm your host as always Phil Brand, joined now with my now regular co-host, the fantastic Carl McGuigan here, punch me in the face verbally for another hour, how you doing mate? Well mate, actually <laughs> we're, we're past the stage of punching each other in the face now, we've got through it, which is great, and the marriage oh, is still intact, so it's all good. Still intact, just about, exactly. um, <clears throat> we're not a sexless, loveless marriage, but uh, I'm sure Pan can relate. <laughs> too, too many Brazilians run around the club for that now. I don't know, you can keep my Brazilians there self. Uh, it's been a long time since I've done one of those. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, let's talk about today, of course. Um, Manchester United with another fantastic win at the weekend against Southampton. Um, the eminent synod of Anthony, which is quite interesting. Of course, uh, Dubravka as well. Europe, we've had Europa League draw since we last did this. And of course, we'll talk about a number of other things, notably the fantastic Manchester United support again at the weekend. Absolutely magnificent. Just constant closures out, which was fantastic. And United fans deserve huge credit for making their voices heard once again. And uh, I think to keep up the pressure on these these, these owners who, uh, of course, are relying on the fact that with United winning a couple of games, <clears throat> some signings, that uh, the heat will die down. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, first of all, mate, uh, any comment on United fans of the weekend? Unbelievable. Support was just so good, wasn't it? It was like, we've had all these tough times and everyone's kind of got over that now. It's a new it's a new era under Ten Hag. Everything just seemed different, didn't it? Like, the support was unbelievable from the first minute and it really just pushed us on on the pitch, so it was unreal to see. But obviously as well, like you touched on it there with the Glazers. I, th- I think it's just a matter of time now. I think... You, we'll touch on it later, but in terms of even the cash injection into the club, surely that's due to an external um, comments from someone that they're going to take over the club. It has to be. There's no way. Why not spend this money at the start of the window, and then why why spend it all of a sudden? It just it, it stinks of, of a takeover, to be honest. And I seen Gary Neville's comments tonight, which fills me with hope as well, where he said it's definitely going to happen. So let's hope it's sooner yeah. rather than later. He tweeted and just said that. They are going to sell. Well, first of all, he quoted the the Real Madrid stadium, which, by the way, looks unbelievable, and said yep. it's time to, to sell up to the Glazers. And someone's tweeted him back and asked about it. And he's wrote back to say they will sell. So you'll see it there yourself. But I think it is. It's only a matter of time. And we need that case injection into the club as soon as possible. In terms of the stadium, like the stadium itself, like you look at Madrid Stadium there. Madrid Stadium is <clears throat> unbelievable in that video. That's what we should should aspire to have at Old Trafford. And because of the Glazers, we haven't got that. I think any other owner, really. Well, most owners, we would have that by now. Uh, no, I completely agree. And I think um, you judge good owners not by how they invest in your team. You judge good owners by how they invest in things that aren't visible, that aren't easily um, monetized and marketed and, 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 you know, prostituted all over the world. You, the non-sexy things. Like investment in the stadium, that to me shows commitment from owners that they're going to be around long term, that they care about something other than what they can take out. <clears throat> investment in the infrastructure completely, and making Manchester United not a better team but a better club. And I think uh, that is, you know, obviously there's other aspects of ownership um, that aren't distasteful. I mean, I don't care what anyone says to me. My entertainment is not more important than someone else's human rights. And Manchester United owners, let's have it right. Um, they've taken money from Saudis. Um, they've invested politically in, in very, very dubious individuals. They're not uh, moral bastions at all. And they would have no problems taking money from despot regimes, none whatsoever. So I'm not saying that Manchester United owners are very better than anyone else. They're not. <clears throat> um, but... They're not despots. They're not out there asking for, you know, people of different sexual persuasion to be thrown off buildings or decapitated or human rights being violated. And I know that makes some people uncomfortable, but I really don't care. If it makes you uncomfortable, but yet show no empathy to the victims of this, then it makes you a scumbag. I'm sorry. <clears throat> you know, and the people that, who wouldn't care, let's be honest, lots of... United fans wouldn't care if we were taken over by some type of oil baron, um, no matter what the human rights record was, as long as they were banned a striker or a midfielder that you wanted. That's a reflection of where we're at in society. Um, I think I, as well, though, it's important that 90% of prospective owners 
we're not going to be happy with. It's very, it's very few and far between where you get an owner that you're going to be happy with. And I think as United fans, we need to understand that because it's been a while since we've been taken over, obviously, by the Glazers, which is something that we didn't want to happen whenever it happened. Well, we did want it to happen, but then we realised and we, we've seen their true colours. But at the end of the day, there's not many football owners out there can think of a couple maybe the clubs do like, but there's always some sort of, you know, it comes with baggage. And I think it's important to remember that with any owner that we, prospective owner that we end up with. Truthfully, it's a job for football governance <clears throat> to make sure this doesn't happen. But they, you know, they don't care because it's about money. And I completely empathise with fans who just want to love and support the football club and are it's not within their control who owns it. I totally understand that. I mean, I'm faced with that dilemma every week myself. How do I score supporting my football team with the inescapable fact that supporting my football team supports the owners? And it's very, very hard to divorce yourself from both. Some people manage to do it and went to FC United. I have nothing but respect for that. You know, and, and for some people, supporting Manchester United is zero sum. If you, you know, if I say, man, delighted to see Manchester United, when today someone's going to tweet me and say, fuck you, Glazers out. You know, I didn't take long before you stopped current. You've got to be able to do both. I can still support and love Manchester United and want them to win and talk about them as a football club and talk about the things that are important to fans. But also, I shouldn't have to imply, I shouldn't have to lace every tweet with Glazers out. Of course I mean Glazers out. Right? Of course I want them out. But you still have to be able to talk about the football club in another way. It doesn't imply, well, if I celebrate a signing or I celebrate the team doing well, I'm therefore endorsing the owners, which is total nonsense. Um, let's talk about the game at the weekend, because if you go back to the Liverpool game, Ed, one of the things that, I, that, that, I, that stood out for me, 2-1, <clears throat> my mind immediately went to <clears throat> last season where you never had a two-goal lead and threw it away. I was thinking of leads, right? Now they ended up winning that game. That was the last time they won away, I believe. Think about Villa. I think about Norwich. Games like that where you know, went 2-0 up. As soon as they conceded, they conceded a second one. Because mentally, they just collapsed. They didn't do that against Liverpool, despite the fact that they would have been forgiven for doing it. Confidence was actually obviously fragile. Don't trust themselves yet. They don't trust that what they're doing on the training pitch is bearing fruit on the football pitch. They showed resilience in that last 10 minutes, and I think the new signings were key to that because they, quite, they haven't quite been uh, they haven't quite been infected in the same way that uh, players of last season were. But then, and I said this on last week's show, I remember United beating City and Solskjaer being asked something along the lines of United for real. And so I'll tell you after Sheffield United. And they went out and lost to Sheffield United. If United had a loss at the weekend, the optimism would have been completely deflated Bubble would have been burst and we've been right back where we were prior to Liverpool. They once again showed resilience, defended, clean sheet, all the things that have been missing when Maguire back there. And I don't want to pick on them all that the game to the top end. So, so important if you needed to build on what they did against Liverpool and they felt they did. Well, I think uh, you touched on it there and I've been very supportive of Maguire on this podcast, but I think if we were 2-0 down, Maguire's at the heart of that defence and we concede one, we concede another because panic sets throughout the team and you've seen how calm Verano Martinez were together. I think, to be honest with you, Maguire and that defence we're going to concede again. It's simple. He needs his time away. He needs his time out. He needs his time to consider himself to understand that his performances haven't been good enough and what it, what it takes to be a Manchester United player because Harry Maguire is a bit, and like I have supported him on this podcast and I'll continue to support him and if he gets himself back into the lineup somehow then great. I don't know if he will be able to, to be honest with these two at the moment. If if we end up playing a three, maybe it suits him better. But Maguire needs to understand what it takes to be a Manchester United player. And he's had a bit of a... He's been thrown in at the deep end in terms of he probably should never have been captain. Even even look at Alanga, for example. He's another one who's been thrown in at the deep end. I think it's important to realise that. Ranić used Alanga because he had no one else. Alanga was never ready for the first team whenever he was thrown in. He's still not ready. Yeah, I tweeted I the other day about... Yet. He needs a loan. He needs to go to Ajax. He needs to go to mm -hmm. someone like that where he can where he can play for a year. And I think he's another one. For example, like his finishing is is not there at the highest level. He's never going to make it at Manchester United with his finishing at the moment. He needs time out. And I think it's important to realise that some of these players have been fast tracked. I'm not saying Maguire's been fast tracked, but what I'm saying is Alanga, for example, has been. 
And there's there's players out there, for example, yeah, like I mean, someone's comment there, he's a limited player and shouldn't be starting games. It's true. He is a limited player and he shouldn't be starting games, but we're in a situation where he had to start games. That isn't his fault. I think, um, I don't know, I haven't seen enough of him to say whether he's limited. I mean, certainly he's limited in the sense that he's a long way from the finished article. And I would agree that he shouldn't be starting games United if this is obviously part of the reason why Anthony's being brought in. Um, I think what he does is he gives United a lot of energy when they press up front, which United need. And it's part of the reason why Ronaldo hasn't played since Brentford. So I think that he plays. If Martial had been fit, I don't think he plays. Right, um, and that's another big problem for United. So I look at that and I think to myself, um, he's a good player. He's a good young player. The pressure United is unbelievable. He needs to be able to make mistakes. He needs to be a young player to go out and make mistakes and have to learn from them. And he needs to be in an environment where he's not under constant pressure. I mean, you take a look at the utterly bizarre criticism that United you know, provoke from people that, honestly, it, it's borderline pathological weirdo. Uh, you know, the, the fixation on Sandra Martinez's hate. Can the guy defend? That's all that really matters. I don't care if he's four foot one. Can he defend? And this is where we get lost in unimportant metrics about players that we defend them by things, you know, you can score 40 goals, can you press? I mean, maybe not, but I'll give you 40 goals. Yeah, but can you press? Because, you know, in modern parlance, that really all is all that matters. You know, some fans would rather their club send young players than seasoned players because of the football manager phenomenon. Right, some fans are more fixated on who their club's saying and whether they win or not. Right, I assume it's part of the football manager phenomenon. I don't know why it's my age, Con, but whatever United saying in the summer, I'm kind of meh. Not that they're not good saying, it's just that it just doesn't interest me in the way it once did. I used to be fixated on this myself. Now it's I, there hasn't been a single saying in the summer where I've been like absolutely buzzing. I just went pragmatically. Good signing, good player. And maybe I'm just getting old, but some of the things that I see online really infuriate me, and I'll, I'll tell you the thing that bothers me the most. The absolute lunatics that are fixated on Solskjaer, right? You know, there could be an earthquake in Bali, and somehow it was because you supported Ollie. Now, let me make this clear. I support every manager because... That doesn't mean I won't say after a while, and I said at the end, it's going needed to be sacked, just like I said that was Mourinho, because I support a football club. Okay, My support is unconditional upon who is the manager. And if yours is, we have nothing in common. I'm a, I support Manchester United. If you can suspend your support for Manchester United because you desperately want Ole Gunnar Solskjaer sacked, you're, you, you and me have nothing in common. Absolutely nothing. And I, and I would say you have nothing in common with most United fans either because that is ridiculous. And these people that constantly tweet this stuff at me, I will, ban, I will block you for this eventually because it is just, again, pathologically insane. I mean, your girlfriend gets shagged tonight. Is it Solskjaer's fault? I'm serious, mate. These people are lunatics. Everything comes back to Solskjaer. And I'm like, buddy, he's... We've had a couple of managers since then. He's going, relax, it's okay. You can come out from under the bed now. I obviously supported Ollie as well. I think it's, it's his time his time ran out. Unfortunately, like he's he's a legend of the club, always will be a legend of the club. Um, especially, you know, for, for what he done on the pitch. But even even as a manager, he, he done good things and there was obviously great times that Ole gave us as well. So we'll have to remember that. But I don't know, these these people online I don't pay much attention to them to be honest yeah. but I want, I want to touch on a point that you made there in terms of you know people fixated on Lissandro Martinez and I don't even think it's it's about being fixated on Lissandro Martinez I think it's like the the narrative where talk sport and these type of shows soon as for example have this thing where they know they get clicks from talking about Manchester United it's like me and you could say something completely outrageous on this and we'll get a lot of clicks he understands yes, if he continues to do it. He understands if he continues yes. to do it, they get more views, they I get more clicks, they that. get more people talking. And he is a wind-up merchant. He's notorious for being a wind-up merchant towards Manchester United fans. So the amount of energy that we give him probably 
allows him to continue. So I I take everything he says with a pinch of salt. Most of these pundits are the same because anything Manchester United do is under the microscope. I think as a United fan, you, you have to realise that everything is. You, you've seen it this summer, the media frenzy around every signing possibly coming in and out of the club. I truthfully don't think there was any way United were ever going to sign Arnautovic. Whether the fans whether the fans went nuts or not, I don't think it was ever going to happen. And I think it's just a media frenzy around everything that happens at Manchester United. And Sunes is just a prime example of someone who just does it for the clicks, does it to be a wind-up merchant, and we all just bite. <laughs> That's what it is. We all bite every time he says something. We're all straight down his throat. Just let him be. He'll continue to talk about United forever, especially when Liverpool are getting beat 2-1 last week and he's nothing positive to say about them. Well, maybe Martinez is his new Pogba. I don't know. Um, unbelievable story, by the way, with Paul Pogba. It's my colleague, Zach Lowy, was on Good Morning Britain this morning talking about. Um, as for Anetovic, people who are better informed in United than me told me that there was 100% genuine interest in him. I just think uh, it's truly unbelievable how United have gone from Anetovic and Rabio to Anthony and Casemiro. I mean, it just makes no sense. Um, but... Uh, I agree that a lot of it is done for, you know, the wind United fans up because it gets that interaction. But it's gutter snape journalism, punditry. We don't allow people to attack other human beings on their looks or their accent or things like that for very good reason. And the fact that it's normalized and allowed is quite despicable. And I thought Laura Woods, who to me is one of the best that's out there, best journalist, whatever you want to call her. She's absolutely fantastic. Makes a really great point today about the policing of celebration when it comes to fans. You're not allowed to celebrate a win. Yet every day we're fed this narrative that the Premier League is the most competitive league in the world, but don't celebrate against this team or that team or this team or against this team. Let people enjoy their football team. Let people enjoy life. Stop giving people a reason to be miserable. Give them a reason to be happy. Right? I don't care if they beat uh, Accurate and Stanley in the FA Cup. Enjoy it. And I even see this with United fans. Yeah, wait till we play this team. Mate. Yeah, and when we win that game. Yeah, well, we need to win it 10 times before I allow myself to be happy. Wait till we win the European Cup. Wait till we... If that's what your mindset is, I feel sorry for you. Because you could never enjoy anything in life. Whenever something good happens, you'll always remind yourself to be miserable. And there's people like that. that don't allow themselves to be happy with anything that are always expecting some misery to take it away from them. And I just don't understand that mentality. You know, if you genuinely can't take pleasure out of these moments in life, you shouldn't be doing this. Find something else to do with your life that's more rewarding. Go on walks. I don't care. If it's if, if you cannot be happy when your team wins, there's something seriously wrong with your relationship with football because that's what it's all about. It doesn't matter who they beat. And so I, I, I don't like this, but I think um, so. The, like I, I used to hear this about United all the time: false position when they were in sack. Not allowed to celebrate. The only way allowed to be happy as a Man United fan if they're winning every week and winning the European Cup and winning the travel. And winning, it's just nonsense. But then you're told you're spoiled if that's the way you think. You know, if you if you don't celebrate the, the smaller wins, you're spoiled. When we've got this arsehole Gabriel like Bonlahore. I notice he's not talking much about his own club. Uh, who do Manchester United fans think they are? What? But again, I think he's another one. He's, well, he's talking down like an arsehole. He can't, he can't talk about his own club. You know what I mean? He can't talk about his own club at the minute because he'd be ridiculed if he spoke about Villa. So he knows if he talks about United, he still gets the clicks and he still gets people interested in what he has to say. That's why I don't give time to any of those people. I don't listen to these people. I don't listen to Sunes. I don't listen to Gabi Agbonor. Don't respect their opinions. It's simple as that. Sometimes they'll they'll make a good point, but they're few and far between. Most of the time, they talk absolute nonsense. So that's why I don't have time for them. And I think again, we're fixated on on these pundits who who speak against the Manchester United narrative. And who cares what they think? Who cares what 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 these pundits have to say? Because really, all they want is the nibblers, and that's what they're getting. Um. Yeah, by the way, Lissandra Martinez, I must make one point. <clears throat> so you know. My wife said the family's all Hispanic, right? And uh, you should see their face whenever someone says Martinez. Martinez. <laughs> they want to yeah. explode. 
Yeah, it's so funny watching that face. I go, I get really upset at that. Um, it is Martinez, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's Martinez is the correct pronunciation. We're like Martinez. <laughs> anyway, um, but um, it's uh, he is to me embodies everything Manchester United fans have been asking for in a player, right? Uh, him and Malassia both. Him and Malassia. Oh, Malassia, honest. Jesus. The contrast between Malassia and Shaw is so incredible. The energy that Malassia brings, right? One of the things that I love about Malassia is even if he makes a mistake, how quickly he gets back into position, how quickly he recovers. His recovery skills are incredible. Brilliant, brilliant player, brilliant left back, and so quick on the ball. So it gives you something going forward. Um, when was the last time? One of the things that, uh, you know, don't get, I mean, we used to see us not a Shaw at Mambasaka a lot. You know, they used to get beat at the near post or back post a lot. I, I mean, I, I don't know how many times, you know, they conceded goals like that. The gap between the left back and centre back is narrow. You don't have this big gap where teams were tracking you down the channels. Remember when Spurs came beating it at six, the, the, the gaps were unbelievable. Um <clears throat> That whole left-hand side of the defense now, defense now has been fixed. And, and the fixation on Alessandro Martinez's height is odd to me because in order to exploit his height, you have to have six-foot-plus strikers. And you have to have more than one of them. Or midfielders. The average size of a human being is five-foot-ten. There are not, right? So it really doesn't matter if Alessandro Martinez is five-foot-one. It matters if the people against him are taller. You need to have enough six foot plus players in that team to make sure that anyone six foot plus is marked and from set pieces in the box, right? It also, like I said, most strikers, if you look at them, are around six foot, five foot, ten, six foot. You need to have tall centre backs to take care of that. I don't really understand this. This this idea that the Premier League is playing alien football that isn't played anywhere else, that there aren't tall players in Spain, that there aren't tall or, tall players in Holland. You know, the Dutch, no tall players in Holland. I mean, what are the Dutch and the Germans famous for? Their height. Right? My father-in-law is Dutch. He's six feet two. Right? Massive. <clears throat> There's no tall players in Argentina. Was he, is there no tall players in international football? Is there no tall players in the Champions League where he's played? And this is nonsense. I think, it is, he, but it's least we arrogance because it's always this assumption that what happens in the Premier League doesn't happen anywhere else. Obviously, his his stats, his aerial stats are unbelievable. The duels he's won, everything has been completely the opposite of what Sunez, Carragher, Agbonhorn, all these pundits have been saying. However, like if you just watch him on the ball, how good he is, how calm he is, how composed he is, he sets that throughout the team. And I think that's the difference between him and Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire instills panic amongst everyone else because he's rash, he panics, he's not he's not comfortable, he's not confident on the ball, whereas Lissandro Martinez is. And up alongside someone like Rafael Varane, he flourishes in that role. Again with Malassia, Malassia's just tenacious, he's everything you want in a in a fullback. Luke Shaw, unfortunately, he's passed it. Luke Shaw once was Malassia. He once was, or what, six years ago? He was, he was Malassia. It's different now. Luke Shaw just hasn't got it anymore. And I think, you know, it's the realisation of that for Luke Shaw and Harry Maguire. Maybe this, is, maybe this is a good thing for them, that there's this competition there, which is real, genuine competition, where, you know what, Luke Shaw, you're actually the number two left-back now. Harry Maguire, you're not you're not a starting centre-back for Manchester United. You can't just walk into the team anymore. And I think I go back to the point where you made at the start of the season where Ten Hag made one wrong decision, and that was giving Maguire the captaincy still. Because now that's a bit of an issue. And what's going to be the story with that? Because do you strip Harry Maguire the captaincy or do you just continue that he's the club captain but Bruno wears the armband every week? Because it's going to be few and far between the amount of times that Maguire's going to be able to make it into this team. I'd like to see Maguire and Shaw playing in the Europa League, the League Cup, those type of games. Give them those games. We are going to have a lot of games this year. So it's a possibility that that happens. Here's the thing to Maguire and Shaw. <clears throat> By the way, just to finish up on Martinez, you're right. Martinez is better than they are, better than they are than Biggles. So let's just leave it there. But as for um, as for Maguire and Shaw, one of the things that we've talked about, they use a slogan that we've used over and over again: is consequences for failure. You have to earn the shirt at Manchester United. That's a responsibility for every player. If you don't play well, you have to get dropped. You can't be allowed more than three bad games before you get you get hooked. You need the options to do that. So 
because it says two things to the player. One, there's consequences for being the way you are. And two, to get back in the team, you need to vastly improve. For Maguire to get back in the team, he has to be better than Martinez. Right? So not back on him. You've got to be better than the player that took your place. And the player that took but your I, place is massive. But Same I'm worried about off. Varane. I'm worried about Varane staying fit. Because obviously that's an issue. Varane has not been able to stay fit. So if that happens, then Maguire's thrusted back into it. Does that have a negative impact on Lissandro Martinez, who for one minute he's playing alongside Rafael Varane and everything's cool, calm and collected. And next mm. thing he's got Bambi on ice beside him. No question. You know I mean, that's the difference. That's a big concern. I just, there's obviously a big concern. And that's also, you know, it's also a message to Victor Lindelof too, to get in that team, you need to be better than Maguire and better than, than Martinez. Um, if you get back in the team because of an injury, you have to take that opportunity and you have to play to your skin. There is no more 16, 17 bad games in continuing the play. There is, and, and, you know, when it comes to the social media apology stuff, right? One of the things that we've always wanted to see is United learn from their mistakes. You make a mistake, okay, that happens. But are you going to learn from it? <clears throat> And they never seem to do that. But this is the first time where I've seen a clear correlation between a mistake happening, consequence, correction. Mistake, consequence, correction. Right? I mean, Ten Hag running with his players is big ball stuff. Right? And that's how you get the respect of men. <clears throat> that's how you get the respect of addressing them. Is I'm not going to ask you to do something I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't ask myself to do. That's how leaders get respect. And I think that was genius. Not enough was made of that. I mean, we've got this ridiculous fixation on all the things that don't matter, but no one mentioned. I mean, only United fans that mentioned, hey, big that was. You know, uh, no other Premier League managers doing that, I can assure you. Right? I mean, so, I think that with Ten Hag, you know, I, I'm extremely impressed so far. Uh, I, I, I think when we talk about playing out from the back, people don't understand how difficult that is. Because... It's not just difficult to do, but it's relatively easy to combat. So if you're a foe, if you're a team and you're trying to play from back from a set piece, let's say you buy a ball, it's really, really hard to do. Because the opposition, they get set. And where do you get your out ball? How do you get space to where you can get out? It's very, very hard to do. So it has to be done quick. Take a look at Arsenal at the weekend. They get caught out playing out from the back. Because if you make one mistake doing it, teams in on goal, they score. It's really, really hard to do. In fact, I remember talking to Franz Hoek about how they did this at Bayern with Van Hal. And they used to bypass the first leg when they played it from the back. You do not play it to the back four. You play it to the midfielders or if your fullbacks push high. But it was always went wide. And so I think people need to understand how difficult that is, how long it takes to perfect, and how it isn't implemented and used in every, every time you get the ball and play it from the back. You, sometimes you do have to knock it long, but it's a really, really hard skill to perfect and it's relatively easy to, to pick apart. I think as well, like we haven't even mentioned it here, but De Gea's performance at the weekend was night and day compared to what we've seen mm-hmm. before. And I think like De Gea comes under a lot of criticism and rightly so at times. Um, obviously, a lot of people a senior tweet during the week, which I agree with on Dean Henderson. I think Dean Henderson is an average goalkeeper. I've said it on this podcast before, and I think he'll do well at a team like Forest, but I just don't think he does well at Manchester United. And I think your stat that you you shared, and people were then getting down your throat saying, "Well, Forest just play long ball," but it doesn't really make sense, anyways. He is not good enough to be. The Manchester United. Well, let me pick up on something that if Forest play long ball, the long balls have to go to a Forest player. Exactly. They're not turning right, around that's saying, what, that's what I mean smack it long to someone else. And, uh, They're saying, smack it long to a Forest player. Well, anyway, go ahead, mate. Sorry. But no, 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 you're right in what you're saying. That's what I was touching on. And I think, you know, David De Gea comes under criticism. And I do think his time is coming to the end as our number one goalkeeper. And I think over, I've actually just seen there that that uh, was signed. Dubravka, who's a good number two, to be honest. He's a decent backup. I think you wouldn't be confident with Tom Heaton as your backup. You're confident enough with Dubravka as your backup. But I think De Gea is only a matter of time before he does leave. And, and, you know, next season, maybe it is a year that Henderson gets a full year of playing because at the same time, I've seen arguments to say, well, he can't get a, a game here and there and be judged on that. 
And I do agree with that as well because he hasn't got a full run of games. However, I just don't think he's good enough for Manchester United. And a lot of people are of the opinion that he is. But where have you seen that? You've seen it at, at, at Forest. He, he's had a couple of good penalty saves. He's He's been decent enough in that for Forest, but he's still conceding goals. Look at him on that, that second goal that Kane scored yesterday. He was nowhere to be seen. So I think there's definitely flaws in his game as well. And he's, I just I can't see him as a Manchester United number one. Another thing, because it's a good point. There are so few really top goalkeepers about. Now, we saw Edison at the weekend make a major mistake. Same mistake that Lawrence Karius make, make, uh, made in the European Cup final when he threw the ball to Benzema. That was a goal. Right? Edison threw that ball. That should have counted. Great. He's good at his feet. Well, not a great shot stopper. And so I saw that three each against Newcastle. Not great. And I'm sitting there and going, mm, you know, it's really hard. To me, the best goalkeeper in the Premier League, and I have to say this, I say it's too good a take, is Allison. That's good enough for Manchester United to me. I would say I don't know. I'd say Ederson's better than Allison. I would disagree. But you're fair enough, man. I would say Allison. Okay. <clears throat> right? um, I think Allison's bigger. Uh, I think he's got more to his game than Ederson. Um, I think. Uh, He's as important to Liverpool as Van Dijk is, and I think uh, arguably more. Uh, and I think uh, you saw that European Cup final when Karius was in goal. The difference between a good goalkeeper and a bad goalkeeper is, is the difference between winning and losing the game. Um, and I think uh, I can't really think of too many mistakes that he's made in, in his time at Liverpool. I think he's been excellent. But anyway, that to me is what a Manchester United goalkeeper is, of someone of that level. And I and also think Henderson... The interviews he's done since, you know, there's talk of him being disruptive while he's in United. I just don't think he fits the bill for a Manchester United goalkeeper. The hair fits that bill at the moment and it's great, but I do think it's time coming to an end and we are going to have to invest. And I don't know who it's going to be because, as you said, there's not that many top, top goalkeepers out there. But if you can get someone like an Allison or an Ederson in, then it's going to be great. But if not, we're going to have to roll with Dean Henderson. And I just don't know if it's a good idea. Well, I don't know either. Uh, I think for United, one one of the reasons why this summer is key is they need to make sure that whatever players they buy this summer, they don't need to replace again next summer. Because this is one of the reasons why United can't address their striker problem. Because every time they need to buy a striker, they have five or six other needs too, and the budget just doesn't support it. So they go and they, oh, we still need a right back. We still need this player. We still need that player. We still, and then we'll do it next summer and we'll, we'll get somebody in on loan or we'll get somebody that doesn't bust the budget to do us the titles over for a year. Strikers are the most expansive players in the game and they're hard to get. Um, and the top ones don't want to go to clubs not in the Champions League. That's just a fact because they don't have to. So it's really important that the players they bring in this summer work out. One of the reasons why I commend the club on Casemiro. Too many times the football club's focused on all the wrong reasons to sign a player. What's their resale value? What's their reach? You know, what's their commercial capacity? Casemiro is a football signing because not a commercial signing. They're not worried about resale value. They're worried about someone that can come in and make an impact right away on the football team. Not the commercial department, not anything else. That's really, really important. That's encouraging. The only thing that would concern me about Dubravka is... You need to need a goalkeeper who isn't content with being a number two. I know people pointed at Henderson, but I still don't think even if Henderson took the hair shirt, you'd see a massive contrast from what you're seeing right now. So, but a goalkeeper that's not content with being number two costs a decent amount of money. Like Kevin Trapp, you know, would have cost a decent amount of money. Whether that makes sense at his age and what's the probability he's going to displace the hair, not high. I should also say that in my chat with Franz Hope, he felt amused about the hair not being good with distribution because he felt he was. He was. Um, I mean, to me, he, he clearly struggles. But these are people that know more about football than me. It was just, it, he said it was more about the shape of the team and the options that he was being given. Although that Bradford game was pretty, pretty dominant, I'll be honest. Um, so, look, given given you know other needs, I would prefer they spent most of the money on Anthony than compromising on what you need as a forward to also get a decent forward and a decent keeper. I'd rather get a very good forward and a decent keeper than a decent keeper and a decent forward. So I think, uh, you know, you need to clearly need another forward. Uh, 
maybe more a central player to me than the now that's being pushed on Rashford. And I heard Ten Hag's comments after the game about him needing to be more of a number nine. I think his instinct is just to drift out wide, and it's hard to keep him disciplined to keep him as a number nine that plays on the last plays on the shoulder of a defender. I think it's hard to get that from Rashford. I think we need. I, well, what I would love before this window closes is a number nine, which are hard to come by, by now, especially in the Premier League. There's very few number nines there. And a right back. And for a number nine, why not go out and sign Mitrovic? He's everything we need. Manchester. Oh, cost a fortune now. I agree. I, I, I really like him. But how, how much do you think he would cost, truthfully? I think for them would ask 70, about 60, about 60, 70, 70 million. million. Yeah. Okay. Which is worth it tenfold for what Mitrovic would bring. Oh, I agree. Just, I, 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 but well, everything yeah, I just about don't him. See him doing that. But he's everything we need as a number nine. That I that agree. that is what we need as a striker. And even even as a right back, why not go out and sign someone like Walker Peters, who was no, very I, good I by the way. First thing there's there's interest in Wan Bissaka. If United could sell Wan Bissaka, they could bring a right back in because it's clearly the the the, the clearly Wan Bissaka. As long as Dallas fit, Wan Bissaka in plan. And I understand that. Look as a forward. He's almost Trent Alexander in reverse. Or Trent Alexander-Arnold in reverse. He can defend, but he can't go forward. He's a very, very good defender. So where Wan-Bissaka is going to get game time is in games we needed or winning and trying to hold on. Uh, how many times is that going to happen a season? Ten times a season? You know, that If you want to be an England international, if you want to be in playing regular football in your prime, which Wan-Bissaka should be, that's not, a, that's not acceptable. You need to move on. And I think for United, if they could loan him out to Palace with an option to buy at the end of the year, you know, the problem for that, of course, is United will need the money to sign a replacement. But we I need to have think a replacement then before we get rid of him. Because well, yeah, I mean, you can't completely agree because there is no obvious other right back at the football club. Um, and I think you need, do need to move Wan Bissaka on. I think if Chelsea had made a significant offer for Harry Maguire, I would have sold him. And brought in a replacement. I, I still think there's players out there you could have got in even on loan for six for a year until you adjust it next summer. Because I don't ever see Harry Maguire becoming a top level player at Manchester United. I think that that is gone. There's going to be he's in a really weird place right now because he's being asked questions he's never been asked in his career. And I really admire Ten Hag's courage to turn around and make decisions that other managers shirked from that should have made these decisions. Now, he has the options to make changes, but I really admire the fact that he dropped his captain after two games. He dropped Ronaldo, right? Which made the argument that Simon Jordan made that he just dropped him against Liverpool because he wasn't fit. Utterly ridiculous, right? Which I can assure you that it was nothing to do with his fitness. I can assure you that. Um, it took big balls to do that because if you get it wrong, it backfires on you massively. He's got it right. And we often, we often say one of the first things a new manager has to work out is his best 11. Ten Hag knows his best nine right now. Well, I think I, th- I agree with you on he knows his best eight or best nine. But really, like for example, I think Ronaldo will start on Thursday night against Leicester. Whether he shoot or not is another thing because we've right. looked better without him. But I do think he'll start. I think Anthony's not going to be ready. I think Martial, we don't know if he's if he's injured or if he's not, if he's able to play, right? So he's still, I think it'll be Sancho, Ronaldo and Rashford. Why do you think he's going Ronaldo? I just feel like Ronaldo is the type of player that in a game against Leicester, he thrives on. Because Leicester, it, it's not going to be a game where we're, it's, it's not like the, the, the Liverpool game. It's not like these games. We're probably going to have much most of the ball against Leicester, I would imagine. Leicester have been very poor. There's there's calls for Rogers obviously as well. They get um to be sacked. There's a, there's a lot of pressure on Brendan Rodgers. I have a feeling Ronaldo plays on Thursday night. Whether that's a good thing or not, I'm not too sure. Six weeks ago, I would have told you, yeah, play Ronaldo every every day of the week. Now I'm under the impression, no, I don't think so. You're going over to the Leicester game, aren't you? Yeah, going over to Leicester and then pa- Leicester away, and then you're going over to the Palace away game, right? Leicester and then Palace away. Looking forward to that. Um, been a while since I said I'm looking forward to United playing a game of football. Leicester, our football club, in unbelievable trouble. Haven't sent other than Alex Smith. He sent one player trying to get some lad in on loan from Germany, from Schalke. Uh, a football club that um, about to sell Wesley Fofana 
and I can't see Brendan Rodgers sticking around there too much longer without proper investment. Um, really bizarre what's happening in that football club because all the investment and infrastructure has been incredible. I wonder what happened there. I think it's FFP what they had to comply with. It was something to do with financial fair play, wasn't it? But even, even if you're looking like they were trying to get rid of Madison, they haven't got rid of him. They're getting rid of Fofana for 70 million, which, by the way, if Chelsea are spending 70 million on Fofana, why have they not spent 70 million on Maguire? But this is why, to me, it's so unfair what Manchester City have gotten away with. Because they signed up for rules they never kept. And they said, you know, forget financial fair play, we're going to do what we want. But other clubs have to comply. It has a very serious, legitimate material cost to them. Unless they're in trouble, they wouldn't be in if they just did what Manchester City did and said, we'll do what we want anyway and we'll just spend. You know, Everton have had to do that when they brought Robert Benitez in. They had to comply with the FFP. They couldn't let him spend money. And you're looking at this and you're going, but Manchester City and the obsequious coverage of this, you know, is, is, is despicable to me. I mean... Okay, I mean, it's fun. I, I respect that what they do on the pitch is fantastic, right? But they cheated. Financially, they doped to the eyeballs. None of their revenue is legit. Most of it is not legit. We saw what Der Spiegel said. We saw what what was in those emails. Which, but where does the box stop then? Well, I mean, it's it, here's the thing. It's, it's hard to litigate this in court. Right? This is one of the things that UEFA have a problem with. Also, UEFA are petrified of another Super League. So the big clubs generate the most revenue. They make the rules. That's the same in every hour, every walk of life. Politicians, wealthy people, they make rules that don't apply to them. They apply to you. you know, laws are weaponized against people they don't like. <clears throat> That's what primarily they exist for the, the, their purpose. In football, a little different. But clearly, the big clubs make the decisions here. And UEFA are beholden to revenue. And so they can't have that without bending over. I mean, the new Champions League format is a concession to the Super League. Do you and like that format? No. And European football has a massive problem. Massive problem. And when you take a look at Bayern Munich winning 10 leagues in a row, winning games 7 though. You know, you see Liverpool winning 9-0. You see Celtic winning 9-0. These things shouldn't be happening in professional football. Right? There's got to be competitive balance in the league. If that happens on a Sunday league team, we can understand it because there's massive differentiation between the quality of the teams, but in a, in the best league in the world. You know, the German league, which was once admired for being one of the best leagues in the world, what's, the, what's in it for a Schalke fan? What's in it for a Bournemouth fan? Because they're constantly watching more than one league. They're in a totally different league. I mean, I, I, I know what it's felt like to be a United fan for a couple of months. I want to walk away from football. It was so disheartening. I was going, what am I watching this? I could no, derive no pleasure from this. It's just pain. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, European football needs to find competitive balance quickly before it starts to lose its audience. And look, I think WWE does a great job of high scripted outcomes as long as it's based on entertainment. You can still retain an audience because we're not far away from that. I mean, we're not far away from games that are not even competitive anymore. They're just looking going, why am I watching this? You know, if two people playing down the street, you know, I'm, I'm pulling the curtains because I don't want to watch. It's not that I have no interest in football. It's just I have no interest in watching this because there's no, there's the, the, the routine, the interest of an observer there has to be plausible potentials. And if there's no plausible potential, you know, we don't, most of the times I don't watch reruns of games because I know the outcome because there's no surprise factor. This is what, what's happening. And football needs to seriously waken up about equitable distribution of resources across football clubs and other leagues so that we don't have this nonsense every week. But is it fair to say that, you know, you've touched on Liverpool there and Bournemouth. There's such a big jump from the championship to the Premier League and mm -hmm. to someone that, that's that's close to winning the Premier League for the last couple of years. So is that not is that not a reasonable enough gap? Well mate for, for you to say that, that you're you think it's not it's not good for you, it's not good to watch that. 
is that not just show the levels and what Bournemouth should aspire to be at? I'm not saying Liverpool are are, are anything special because they're not. They were obviously terrible against us and could be two one. But there's levels to the game. There's levels to the Premier League. We're we're on a different level to Bournemouth. There's different levels to each team in the Premier League. So it's not fair to say that these results will happen every now and again, especially with a newly promoted team. I know you touched on Celtic there and Celtic and Dundee United, but there's a difference in those two clubs. There's a difference in the level that Celtic can compete at and the, the level that Dundee United can compete at. And that's evident because Celtic are in the Champions League group stages. Is that not just because of the geographical nature of where Celtic are? It's unfortunate that they're in the, the Scottish Premier League. They're probably too good for that league. Mate, don't because no one outside of Celtic and Rangers are going to win the league. Do you need to beat Barcelona in the final? Right? Yeah, but how many years ago was this? But this is what I'm talking about. The, 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 there was competitive balance at a time when there was equitable distribution of resources. Now there's not. Aberdeen, we never see again. Starbuck Rest, we'll never see again. Right? So when we look at what, why is there such a massive difference between Bournemouth and the other teams, resources, just some of that. I mean, we talk, look at Manchester City. Manchester City didn't close the gap on any football club until they got the money to do so. Newcastle were about to be relegated until they got money. Clearly, there's a direct correlation between how good you are and how much money you have. Right? R- RB Leipzig, you know, who Hoffenheim, who were they before they had money? You know, they were, once they got money, now they're established football clubs, right? So this is not healthy. And yes, you're right that you will get these results every once in a while. But primarily we get these results because of the massive contrast in resources. I watched Forrest and Spurs yesterday. Forrest once got promoted, the Premier League won the league, then won the European Cup. Never will see that again. Why Why were they able to do that? You why know, were they able to win the league? No, I know. I completely agree. But yeah. these, 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 this, is, this is a freak result, right? So Leicester were amazing because it was a freak. All right, very, very good team. Well managed. Everything clicked. Perfect. The other teams were bad enough. Leicester were good enough. But but that can't be the exception. There has to be something in it for the other teams other than let's just hope we get a, a giant killing every once in a while. I miss football from that, from that time. And that's unfortunately what the, the owners of these top clubs want to create is differential between them and the other clubs so that they can exploit them. That's primarily what it's about. Because when there's, if you're, if you give, if you turn around the Premier League right now and say, I tell you what, you've got a three billion contract, we're going to give you 10 billion, but we're going to equally distribute it across uh, uh, every club. What's in, why? That makes, gives me no advantage. You've cheapened the money you've given me because you've created parity. That money, I'd rather, these big clubs would rather take a billion and give someone else. You know, this is the inequities that exist in society for exactly the same reason. You know, there's a reason why public defenders are not paid well. They don't want you to have a proper defense. You know, there's massive financial inequities that run right throughout society because that's predatory. That's what, when, when someone doesn't have money and someone does, that's predatory. Right? You can exploit those people. And, you know, we see, I mean, I hate to bring us back to politics, but we see this with the RMT and everything else. Drive wages, don't drive wages, don't drive wages, don't to make sure you can get people to do what you want them to do. One of the biggest things I hear people complain about out here is people don't want to work because they got money from the government. In other words, you can't get people into shitty jobs and exploit them because they've got resources to do something else. This is why football needs more competitive balance and needs better distribution of resources. Because competitiveness is the reason why we love the game. I, but there's, all, there, there's always going to be, I go back to my point about Leicester, there's always going to be teams in the Premier League that just aren't at that standard. That That's just a fact of the Premier League. It's been the same since the existence no. of the Premier League. Th- there has to be teams that, that are relegation threatened from the off. That's just that's the way, I'm the nature of it, it is. I'm talking about but the you're, massive you're saying, contrast in resources where, where there's, it's almost predetermined. If you can be bad from making bad decisions, right? Yeah. That's fine. But, but being bad because you can't afford to be good means that you have no chance. I, I don't know, I disagree with you because the likes of, of the top four, for example, that go into the Champions League are always going to be better off than the bottom four in the Premier League. That You're never going to strike it's up a balance. About because... off. It's about making sure that the differential is small, is not massive. 
But then what, what's the what's the benefit of winning? What's the benefit of striving to be the best in the league? Because you get all because the benefits. It's, it's, no, no, no. The benefit is not fiscal. It's a meritocracy. The, the, the sport and accomplishment is not about how much money I make. Right? You know, it's sport and accomplishment. If, if that's what it's all about, then we have an NFL-type system where, you know what, it's a lock league, really is no glory. It's about generating revenue. No one can really fail, right? Because you're going to get money. Right. What am I? And, and this is where I have an issue with the Glazers because it's, they're not targeting praises, they're targeting praise money. That's it. They don't care. If you say, like, I've made this correlation all the time. If you said the Glazers, here's an envelope with 100 million in it, or here's an envelope with 10 Premier or you know, 26 Premier League titles or, or medals, what do you want? I'll take the 100 million because that's the only thing I'm in it for. And when you reduce everything to how much, then I ask you, how much would you sell your kids for? Or is there some things that are more important than money? There's I'd, not, but, every, but there but is. I think we have to come to the. There is things that are more important. Everything's more important than money. Of course, I know. But what I'm saying is, is there's no, you know, for you to say there, there's a monetary imbalance in what you're saying because obviously, of course, you know, the the benefits of winning the Premier League come with with more money. That's just the way it is. These football clubs are businesses, whether you like that or not. I'm These not football gonna clubs are business. So, for for you to say that Man City, for example, who win the Premier League, should have the same resources as Forrest, who have just came up, to me, no, is I absolutely didn't say ridiculous. they should have the same resources. Please listen. What I'm saying is that the differential shouldn't be massive. Of course, there's going to be differences in in in, in revenue and income. There's always been. But so why why should it not be? Why should the differential not be big? Because I'm going to explain this still for you for the last time. If you have a massive differential, you can mm -hmm. get the person that has no resources to do whatever you want. That's not healthy. That's not, there's no competitive balance. So when these two teams take the field, and you've got one team that was put together on a shoestring budget of a hundred grand a player, and you expect them over a 38 game season to compete with the creme de la creme, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. There's a reason why Leighton Orient aren't winning the Premier League. So because they don't have the okay, if, so if Leighton Orient were bought tomorrow by an Arab sheik, how long do you think it would be before they'd be competing in the Premier League? I would say consecutive promotions every year. Okay, but basically what you're saying, and I don't want to put words into your mouth so you can tell me if I'm wrong in, in suggesting this, right, is that you think the European Super League's a better idea because it's more competitive no, than all the, team, no, all the teams. No, 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 all the teams the are at the same but all of them, them teams have the same resources at the same level. They they're very. They're not. It's, it's be, that's not what I'm saying. They're taking those resources from other teams. From other, that money's coming from somewhere, right? So if we've got ten teams or fifteen teams in Europe taking ninety nine percent of the revenue, what happens to the other clubs that relying on the one percent? They're finished. I, I understand what you're saying, but look at the end of the day, I disagree. With you. I think there's always going to be a difference. And the top Man, of the Premier League. I'm not talking about there always been a difference. I'm talking about the size of the difference. No, and that's what I'm saying. There's always going to be a, a massive size and difference there because some of these teams, happen. some of these teams at the at the top of the Premier League are playing Champions League football year in year out, whereas the legs of. But that's because they have the money to do that. That's because they have the money to invest in their teams. So it's now essentially predictable who's going to finish. We're talking about top four. There's six teams can finish top four. You think that's healthy? I don't. I think it's inevitable. Like, it's so for example, right, it's for only inevitable if, if you have a deliberate contrast between haves and have nots. Okay, I'll, I'll give you an example. Bargaining, why does collective bargaining exist? Okay, let me give you an example because I'm not I'm not too sure what you mean by collective bargaining. Collective bargaining is when they <laughs> sit down with negotiate Premier League television, right? And this is one of the things that the Glazers really wanted to end, by the way, is the fact that you bargain collectively as 20 teams okay you don't bargain individually you don't turn around and say my tv rates are worth far more than theirs and the reason they do this is to have competitive balance in their league so that you don't have a la liga where you've got two teams that can win the league every year occasionally a third right where the rest are going bankrupt all right because they don't have money so this is what happens. This is what happens to so many football clubs because eventually they can't afford to stay in business. Because so how do you have, combat that in the Premier League, though? How do you what? How do you combat that in the Premier League? First of all, through collective bargaining to make sure that there's equitable distribution of resources across all of your teams. However, 
there's nightclubs protesting uh, parachute payments because they're a form of cheating. Because now a club can get relegated, take another hundred odd million and go into a league and compete against teams that have got a 20 million budget. Now Bournemouth come back up. Most of the teams that go down come back up. How many times Fulham been up? Because they have massive financial resources over their rivals. It's really, really hard. But does that not show you show you the difference in the Premier League and the Championship in terms of resources? That's the point I'm making. And exactly, it shouldn't but, be like that. But should you not be striving to get to that level of the Premier League? Is that is that not the whole pyramid system of the players who are in the eighth it's, tier who strive to play no, at that highest level to make the most money possible to change their families' lives? Because that's what it is ultimately. Yeah, but, but the, the, I understand that at some point there's a cut off financially where not everyone can make the same money. But there's a reason why we have these. If you want to have, if you want to sell a dream to a North City supporter, that you're not going to be a yo-yo club, or you're not going to constantly get relegated and promoted because you don't have the money to compete in the Premier League, but you're too wealthy for the Championship. You're going to have to have competitive balance. I want to see that. Okay, I want to see an era back where there were teams that could get there purely on merit. I don't want to see Manchester. Everything that's happened in Manchester City has nothing to do with sport and merit. Nothing. It has to do simply with financial doping. That's it. Manchester City swap for any other 90 Premier League, 90, 90 clubs in the football football league. That could have happened to any of them. It would have been exactly the same outcome because for exactly the same reason. Right? That's not healthy. And football needs to do more. It should have a salary cap, first of all. 100%. Right? Because the way big... The way these clubs are able to bring, I mean, take a look at what's happening in P- the PSG. I mean, the rest right. of these meaningless. I know Lille won the league, right? But it's always a question of how bad are, are PSG going to be bad enough to let somebody else win the league? I mean, it's not the same in Germany. Bayern have to be bad enough to let someone else win the league. But is that not just the nature of sport and sport? No, I think that's only been that's a recent phenomenon. It's the last 10 years it's happened. Okay, so 30 years ago, any team in the Premier League could have won the Premier League? I wasn't around, so I don't know. I would say not any team, but at least half of them. I just, like, I I compare it to any other sport, right? There has to be the elite level. There has to be the top level. Well, there's always going to be the elite level. That's not what I'm talking about. There's always going to be the top teams that have better resources. I'm talking about how probable is it that someone's going to catch them? And we'll do this to to death. The only way that's happening is if... You get resources. I mean, ask Brenton Rogers about it. You know, I mean, there's a reason why they're not catching Man City. There's a reason why Manchester City are very, very difficult to catch. Do you think Manchester City would be winning the league if they didn't have the, the money that they had? They didn't have Guardiola? Mate, it's not healthy. Anyway, uh, we'll get to some questions. You got some more questions yeah. there? Let, let me see. Um... Kevin Hilton. It was a great turnout for the protest. Was it a success in terms of how full the ground was? Why was the ground so full? And have the Glazers managed to push back since Monday? So the question about protest and how you weight their efficacy is how they change behaviour. That otherwise wouldn't be it wouldn't be present without the protests. There's no question most protests are effective. Every single time United fans want to change, they got changed through protest. So they got changed with green and gold, right? They got changed with the Super League. They got changed with Arnautovic. Um, And anyone who pays attention to Manchester United and how they do business would be an idiot to say that they haven't changed how they do business in the last two weeks. Uh, I am still confident that they are looking at selling the football club, that they are... I, I mean, the information that I have, I, I would stand over in my grave. And so um, I still believe that whatever they're spending, they're confident they would recover in any sale. <clears throat> There's a, another question here from Thomas Andesner, who said, what's changed since the window began? The circulated budget was a lot smaller. And now that we've opened the pockets, where is the top up came from? It's a really, really, really good question. Because here's the thing, Tom. If you have the money that United have now, the appropriate time to spend that is not the last week of the window. 
when you need to pay inflated prices for players. The appropriate time to spend that is in June. That money was not there in June or July. If it was, they, they wouldn't be spending 90 million on Anthony. They spent it on Darwin Nunez. <clears throat> right? So they, they didn't want to do the Darwin Nunez deal because primarily they'd allocated the budget to De Jong. Now, when I spoke to United and they talked about this last week, about uh, Anthony four or five weeks ago, the message was the only way we'd go back and form is if the De Jong deal didn't happen. The only thing didn't happen, but the Casemiro deal did. And so something fundamentally changed. I think after that Brantford game, there was such an issue with Ten Hag um, and his team is in, uh, screaming about getting players. And so, um, you know, one of the one of the things that I read was Ronaldo and <clears throat> Maguire was screaming to get players and neither of them have played since. <laughs> I Aidan Eagle has asked, do you think there will be another signing if Ronaldo leaves? No. Um, I think that uh, to replace Ronaldo and get a central striker, that's a big, big deal. And I don't think they're going to do that in a couple of days. Um, obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know this for sure. I did ask yesterday about what was, was just the last after Anthony and Dubravka. <clears throat> they said never say never, but most likely. So I don't think they will send another striker um, this summer outside of Anthony. Just having another look through these. So do you think that there won't be anyone else other than Anthony? And this is just me. Anthony Dubravka. That's it? I think that'll be it. I'd be worried here's, if we don't send the right back. So I agree. I, I mean, I, here's the thing, mate. I have two, two minds on this. Because... United are not going to solve all their problems in one window. This is, as Ranić and others have said, you do this over three windows, maybe. So, and three windows we, we would have taken, right? So, inevitably, there's going to be positions needed need address in January and in the summer that need address now, but you just it's just not possible to do them all in one window. So, I still feel like United needed the young type player. Um. I would have liked to have seen that happen this summer so that come next summer, they're not trying to spend De Jong on a striker, that type of player, because those players are going to cost a lot of money. So, plus the right back, which will be needed. But um, if United can get into next summer needing three players, a right back, at the, uh, a ball playing midfield and a striker, that will have meant that the players that they've sent this summer will all have been a success. And United are very, very close to competing for a league title. I take that. Connor Higgins has said, do you think one of Alanger or Garnacho will go out on loan now that Anthony has signed? And do you think that wan mm. will leave before the window shuts, which leaves us shoulder right back? Yeah, so in some sense, I hope Garnacho goes out on loan because yeah. between the two of them, I think he's the better player. And I really think it would be a waste for him to sit on the bench or to be playing in the under-23s this year. I'd really love to see Garnacho go out on loan, get game time with a view to bringing him back next summer and being part of the first team. His contract's up <clears throat> in the years so we need to get that sorted. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, Mabry's just gone out on loan while we're doing this podcast. Um, so I would hope that Garnacho would too. Right, last one, because there's so many here, but the, they all seem to be similar about the takeover and stuff, which we've already touched on. Um, Wigan Mike has said, is there anything in the Ronaldo Osman thing? Where's the money coming from? And since the Arnauto Vids deals collapsed, what's happened? So, Duncan Castles wrote an article on this yesterday. And obviously, Duncan Castles is very close to Jeff Defoot Day, to Mendes, and Ronaldo. And there's some things in there. I'm not saying Ronaldo doesn't have good reason. And he was saying Ronaldo told United months ago about this. But Ronaldo also did an interview June 1st, singing the you know, the praises of Ten Hag and how he wanted to be a part of Ten Hag's United, New United, and how he wanted to do this and do that um, at Manchester United. So it wasn't being honest then in that interview. So how do we know he was being honest before? You know, so to me, I think uh, Osman would cost a lot of money. Uh, so I'll give him Mercati talk about this, saying 120, 130 million. I mean, mate, if you need to go out and spend 130 million on a striker and they need to be investigated somewhere, <laughs> I don't know who, who they stole that money from, but I would be amazed if they go out and spend another 130 million on Osman um, or any striker. And like I said, I think if they get rid of Ronaldo, they just do that. Do you think he'd be a good option, though, Osman? 
I don't see enough of him to really pass judgment um, from people that I've talked to. They rate him really highly. Um, you know, Napoli have got a great record and banned very good strikers, to be fair. So um, I think Napoli's such a brilliant football club, such a passionate football club. Um, if you can go and do well in that city, then I think you're built for a place like Old Trafford. So, um, yeah, why not? Right, final one. It's just coming in on the, the comments. What about Memphis? I'd take him, to be honest. I would take Memphis to buy. I think there's a difference from when he was at United. I think he is something, someone we could do with at the moment. I don't think long-term he's going to be anything special, but I do think he'd be better than his first time here. Yeah, to me, man, I think you need to have to have a higher bar than that. He could do a job or he'd be better than the last time. To me, Memphis Depay is a decent player. Um, would, he, would he be terrible? Probably not. But I'm looking at United's front line and going, who would, he, who would I drop for him? I know people are going to have different opinions on this, but I don't think he's better than what United have. I, I don't even think he's as good. He's as just another United option, have. isn't he? Yeah, but uh, you know, again, like okay. a, a couple, a couple of injuries, and you're stuck with Alanga. You're going to Garnacho, so I think it's good to have strength and depth. Definitely, it's good to have strength and depth. Um, but the problem is, is good players want to play, and. They're not going to be happy with I'll just sit in the bench and if someone gets injured or what have you. You know, if you're good and if if you're really good enough to come into Manchester United and be an impactful player, you want to play. And it's really hard to get those second tier players. I mean, I bring us up about Dubravka. You need players that aren't happy being on the bench that are going to push the players in front of them. This is what's now happening to Maguire and Luke Shaw. What questions are you being asked? You're being asked. You're on the bench right now. In order to get back in this team, you have to be better than what's already in there. That's a massive, massive jump jump from Maguire and Shaw. This is now the standard to get in this team. And so um, I wouldn't be disappointed if you had signed to Pi, but I, 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 wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be excited either. All right. All right, folks, uh, we'll go ahead and leave it there. We'll be back again later on the week. Uh, enjoy the Leicester game, mate, when you go over and enjoy the Palace game when you go over. Uh, two away games. United are now winning away, away from home. So hopefully, good time continues. to go. Hopefully. Hopefully it um, continues. All right, mate. Believe it or Thanks, folks, for all the downloads, retweets, and all that. Thank much, you, much appreciated. And hope all your mental health is good, folks. Take it easy. Bye.